0: Father, preach. First time. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it's special this morning. In fact, this past week when we were up on our cruise, they got engaged. Stand up, Ryan. Bailey. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is going to be an awesome day, church. It's going to be a different day. I said it's going to be a different day. Yeah. Amen. Amen. First off, look how I'm dressed. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say, Brother Danny, I've always seen you on a shirt and a tie when you preach. But today you come pray in different clothing today. You know why? Because the Lord spoke to me and said, come prepared for battle today. Yeah. Hallelujah. So I come dressed a little different. title of my message today is Taking Back Your Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10.4. I'm reading out of the English translation this morning, version. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power able to pull down strongholds. Several years ago, Joe, Stephanie, myself, and Anita got to go to Washington, D.C. If you ever go to Washington, one of the places you got to make sure you go is Arlington. Listen. There are three places I cried at at Washington. I cried when I saw the original Declaration of Independence. I cried when I saw that first flag that flew over America. I cried when I walked the grounds of Arlington. There's something solemn, something sacred about the grounds of Arlington. As we and Joe and I and Stephanie and Anita walked upon those grounds, we walked amongst the graves there of Arlington, the graves of those who paid the highest of all price, the price for our freedom, their own lives. And I believe if we could ask those guys once again, would you do it again? Would you crawl into another foxhole? They would say, yes, I would. I would crawl in another foxhole for the cause. I would fight up the battle of a hill for the cause. I would go night and day without food and water just for the cause. I would uh, do whatever it took for the cause. This morning, you must believe there is a cause to fight for. But I want to talk to you a bit this morning about another hill. I think it's probably, to me, I think it's the most sacred of all hills that existed. It's called Mount Moriah. Now some of you say, Mount Moriah, you know, I've heard that name before I just can't place it in my mind Mariah 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 where have I heard that name and suddenly it comes to you where you say yes I remember where I heard that name I heard it from the word of God Mariah is a sacred place And in the world today there has been many great battles that have been fought. Some of these have changed the destiny of the world, places like Gettysburg, places like uh, uh, the beaches of Normandy, a place one day that will change most of all, a place called Megiddo, which will be known as Armageddon. But there has never been a place before or even now or in the future that holds more sacredness than the place of Mount Moriah because it was a place where the the destiny of the human race, spiritually speaking, was decided. Uh, Moriah, it's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of payment. It's a place of commitment. And that's where I want to finish up this morning uh, in my message at Mount Moriah. But let's begin our message today. So let's start in the very beginning. Uh, The other day, Danny and I was at the store, and we were discussing the word, the Bible. And Danny, if you remember, we said that the Bible is a book that talks about people's lives. We said that uh, it talks about common people, like me and like you. But these were people that, some of them, God did miraculous things in their life and took their life and took them to different directions. But then there were some, who just, they made a mess of things. They started out in a blaze, but then ended up in the ashes. But today, our message centers upon one of God's great men, King David. Now, when I think about David, I think what the Bible said of him. He was a man after God's own heart. Is there anything greater that you can say of a man than he's after God's own heart? Think about it. That's a That's an uh, awesome compliment to say. But as a king that David was, he also had a problem of ruling over his own household. But we see David today outside the city of Jerusalem. We see him there sitting up on his horse. I I picture him up on his horse. And I picture David that day as he is in battle array. I pictured the best of Israel, gallant warriors around David that day. David had some of the great generals uh, like Joab that was standing with him for that day. And they had come to Jerusalem. They had come with a cause. They had come with a purpose. What was it that brought them to Jerusalem? I've always said that Jerusalem is the heart of God. It's God's city. It's the city of God. Listen what Isaiah 62:1 says, "Because I love Jerusalem, I will always speak for her. It's always been the place of provision. It's always been the place where the king has been. Remember I, the last time I spoke, I talked to you about Melchizedek. I talked to you how that Abraham, when he came down from Haran, that Mechizedek came out to meet him, that Melchizedek had the title of priest and king. The only one other person that we know that had that title, that was Jesus Christ. So some believe that either it was Christ or it was a, someone that typified who Christ was. But Abraham never received his blessing till he came to Jerusalem to Salem, which is what Jerusalem was, was Salem. He never received his blessing before or after till he came that day. And the king came out, and the king blessed him. And the king then, uh, as a result of that that, uh, uh, Abraham began to bless him by giving him a tenth of all that he had. But Jerusalem at one time was in Israel's control. But when this picture came about here of what we're preaching about this morning, somehow Israel had lost control of the city of Jerusalem. And we wonder, well, what happened? What happened to Israel? How did they lose control after Abraham had met with Melchizedek, that Israel then went to Egypt and stayed there for 400 years? And we know what happened in Egypt, how Israel was mistreated, but at that very time, we know that God raised up a man in Moses, uh, Joshua and Caleb that would lead Israel out of Egypt and bring them unto the promised land. But one thing that God told Israel, do not cohabitate with those in the land. And I discussed this last time I preached that by the evils of cohabitation, it takes away who you are. You lose your identity. Remember I said you take a glass of tea and you pour water in that tea, and the more water you pour into that tea, the less it loses its characteristics. Pretty soon it's not tea anymore. And that's the way it is with us as Americans. The more we pour in, the less we lose what we are as a nation. And the sad thing is that when we've come to a point that it's affected the church because the church has For the sake uh, of, uh, of society and culture, that we have compromised our standards, we have compromised what we believe in to make everyone happy, we begin to follow the world instead of following God. But it was no different from Israel. Listen, case point, let me tell you why. Because we find that one day Israel came to Samuel and said, Hey, Samuel, we want a king. We want a king. What they actually was telling God was, we want more than just you, God. We want somebody that we can see, somebody that we can hear, somebody that we can point to his, his palace and say, there is our king. Read it for yourself. 1 Kings eight twenty. Give us a king that he'll lead us in the battle. Israel felt at this time that having a king would bring some sense national identity, security, and unity. And because at that time, they were a bunch of tribes that were just no unity at all. Samuel felt troubled because he felt like what they were actually saying is, God, we don't want to have any part of you. We don't want to hear your voice. We don't want to see your hand. He said it felt like it was a slap in the face of God, the very God that said, I have created you, O Israel, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher, said this. Every time that I go and look into the mirror, I'm reminded of my greatest enemy. I'm 70 years old. And I remember my grandfather used to tell me, he said, Danny, he said, let me tell you something. Oh, we never put your uh, life in the hands of man. Man will always fail you. The hand of man will always short. You'll find you'll be disappointed. But always put your life in the hands of God. It will never disappoint you, it will always surround you. Maybe this is what David said when David said, Hey, I used to be young, but now I'm old. And he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. When you allow human hands to play in your circumstances, You open up a box of worms that later you regret. The king, Samuel said, the king would do these things. First off, he'll send your kids into battle. He did. The king would demand taxes. He did. A king would demand his own will and would come into your home and take what he wants. He did. A king king will only go for personal gain. He did. When we choose the hand of man rather than the hand of God, it's always going to bring bad results. And when Israel did that, they began to step downward. The first step that they took in choosing a king was they stepped downward in the fact that they chose someone according to what he looks like. We, we know the story. We know that they said, give us a man that's handsome, give us a man that's, that's, that's uh, muscular. Uh, you know, uh, that looks like a king. And sure enough, Saul fit all of those categories at all. But you know, they were trying to tell God how to run the show. I read one the other day when somebody said this. They said, You know what? One thing that God left out of the Bible, your opinion. <laughs> Thank God that he did. Listen. It's important to know to be a giant and God does not begin in your physical size. All you hear about amongst people is size, size, size. Size matters here. Size matters there. It mattered to Israel back, back then. But size does not matter to God. God is not interested in size. He's not interested uh, in the size of the church in numbers. But I'll tell you what he is interested in. He's interested in people uh, that are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost who lies a bubbling over with the Spirit of God. He is interested in if you are hurting and you are suffering and there is lack in your life, that when you walk out of those doors that you are filled. He's interested more than if you come in here sick and you're down and depressed that you walk out of here and you are totally healed in him. That's what he's interested in. If I'm wanting to be thrilled and excited, I'll go to the casino. I Maybe I'll go to a rock concert or what, but I want to come here to be inspired. I want my hopes to, to be lifted. I want my dreams to become a reality. So Israel's first mistake, their first step downward was in, a, was in choosing a king according to looks. Their second step downward was the fact that they chose somebody that wasn't even of the right tribe. Listen, it was an uncommon law that was written. It wasn't written in books, but it was something they all abide by. That You stayed with your tribe. You stayed with what you were. And we know that the the, uh, the kings came from only one tribe church. What was it? Come on. Judah, the tribe of Judah only produced the king. But here we find that Israel's first king was from the tribe of Benjamin. So right away they took another step downward. Here's where a lot of people have not running in the lanes where God had put them. We try to be the jack of all trades and the master of none. Listen, God calls us to to be specialists. I'm a specialist. Look, specialists are those who live within their giftings, Amen. within their callings. Um, you know, I'm special. Nobody else can do what I'm. What I'm what my specialty is. You know, I, I'm going to tell you what. I'm not much of a performer. You can go and you can look at some of the things I try to go. Nita does all the growing in our house. But you can go and look at my gardens and say, well, Danny's right. He ain't much of a farmer. But you know what I am? I can take what Nita grows. I can take it to Rouse's, and I can clean it up. I can merchandise that. I can put it on a shelf, and I can sell it to you. Let me tell you an old produce trick. This is getting away from a sermon. But we used to take an eggplant it was all wrinkled up, and we'd take and pop it with a, with a, with a pencil, then pop a hose to it. Boop! Perfect <laughs> eggplant, man. Perfect eggplant. But, you know, that's a specialty that I know. Come on, church. Huh? Come on. But anyway, it's specialized. I specialize in. How to do merchandise, how to put something out there, how to make it presentable. And one thing that I've learned is not everybody has the ability that I have. I know how to merchandise. Not everybody can do what God has called you to do. Some of you may be sitting there and say, I don't even know what my gifting is. Well, you got a problem then. You got a real problem. You better find out what your gifting is. And then never run ahead of God. How do you hear God when you run so far ahead of him? You can't hear what God's saying, or you run lag behind God's voice. You can't hear anything that God has to say. The third step down that Israel did was they came to the point where they forgot that Jerusalem is the heart of God. Again, let me remind you, Jerusalem is God's city. Isaiah 62.1, I love Jerusalem. I will always speak for her. I had a friend of mine once who had big brothers. And she told me that one of the things that she loved was that these big brothers, sometimes when she got herself into a tight, when she would get herself into a bad situation, she would call these big brothers. They would run to her side and say, little sister, what's going on? These guys bothering you. Uh, You need some help. She said it was always a comfort to know that they were there and all I had to do was call them. And I I remember when Jesus came to Mount Moriah and he looked over into Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you underneath my wings, but you would not. I I think about that that big brothers. Uh, They were no good unless a sister would allow them to come. Uh, Allow the big brothers to come to them. And I think, in a way, that's what Jesus was saying there. Have you ever tried to show affection to somebody, and they pushed you away, huh? Or they told you, "Hey, you know what? When we're out in public, don't don't hug me, don't kiss me, uh, don't hold my hand." Uh, with, that's things that we do when we're uh, in our home. But when we out in public don't do it. You know what you feel like? I feel like I would feel like that I'm on the short end of of the stick. Think how Jesus feels. Short end of the stick. Have you ever trusted somebody you gave them something to keep for you and they lost it? How did that make you feel? You would think, well, you know, I don't understand it. You knew this thing was important to me. You knew how, how, how this thing, that I, I love this thing. And you lost it. Somehow you misput it someplace. If you really cared how I felt, you would have held on to it a lot closer. I think that's how Jesus felt when Israel gave up Jerusalem to the Jebusites. We're not told why, we're just told that they did. The Benjamites walked out of Jerusalem and left it for the Jebusites to take. Reminds me of the story that I've told and told about Vietnam. How that America would go into Vietnam, take a hill, sacrifice American lives going up a hill to take that hill Body bags would come back down, then America would give up that hill to the enemy only to go back and take it another day. Well, that's sort of like the uh, Benjamites did to Jerusalem. They had it, lost it, and gave it up. But before we are quick to criticize them, let's remember how many times have we made giant strides in our life, giant leaps and bounds. And maybe we've come to a place where where we finally reach where we are wanting to reach in our lives. When we come to a place that we just give it up for some reason. We give up what we have obtained. We lose control. Instead of being the master of our circumstances, our circumstances becomes the master of us. Instead of having our foot on something, uh, we find that it, uh, the, it becomes upon us. So here we find David. David standing outside of Jerusalem, battle formation, ready to go in and take back what Israel had lost. How do you think God felt? I think God would have felt, why, why, if it mattered to you as much as it meant to me, you would have never let a foreigner take over. I read the other way day these words. That in peacetime, sons bury their fathers. In war times, fathers bury their sons. So, to get back to where they needed to be, David realized that there were some fathers that was going to have to bury some sons. It meant a time of sacrifice, it meant a time of commitment important things to you today how important is the things that you believed in have you secured them unto yourself or have you been like a Benjamite you let them go this season one of the most poorest uh, bonehead decisions was made in college football in fact uh, it was made back I think it was October 7th when when the Miami Hurricanes were playing uh, the Atlanta Ye- uh, Yellow Jackets. And, and it was the fact that they were ahead with just seconds to go into the game. But some, they, all they had to do was hold on to the ball and win the game. But the bonehead coach <laughs> decided to, go, to run a play. And when he did, the ball got popped out of their hands. And the opposing team, team fell on the ball And on the next play, threw a touchdown, and they walked out of the stadium a winner. And Miami walked out a loser. So you say, Brother Danny, what are you trying to tell me this morning? I'm trying to tell you this. Wake up and realize we're in the last seconds of the game. Come on. If you can't see it, then something's wrong. We're in the last seconds of the game. I don't know how your game has been in your life. You may have been going through a horrible time in your life in the game of life. But this is what the Lord would tell you today. You need to begin to hold on to what's important to you. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your standards. Hold on uh, to your values. Hold on uh, um, uh, to the banner of the Lord today. Refuse to allow it be popped out of your hands. The Benjamites lost the ball for God at Jerusalem. And now David's army stood there ready for the purpose of going and taking it back. Do you believe that David going into Jerusalem was going to be an easy task? You think that David could just walk in without any resistance from the Jebusites? Does Israel today have, can live in peace? Certainly not. Look at it. You look at the nation of Israel right now. They're being bombarded. I saw where women are being raped. I saw where kids are being pulled from the homes of a mom and dad and and not seen again. I've seen where they take babies and bring babies that are beheaded back and, and, and back into Israel. It's a terrible situation. You see, Hamas and Hezbollah, all they want to see, they do not recognize Israel as a nation. They do not recognize the territories of Israel. And these Americans and these states today who will sit there and, and say it's all provoked by Israel, you're speaking lies of your father, the devil. Have you ever looked at somebody's life and wished you could read what they're saying? I wish I could have read what David was thinking about when he was waiting there, fixing to go into Jerusalem. What was on David's mind? What was he thinking about? I think to understand what was on David's mind, you'd have to understand the man David, because you have to understand his character. And later on, 2 Samuel 24 24 gives me a, a somewhat of an indication of the character of the man David. When they were going to give a temple grounds and give a place for the temple to be built, it was them that, they, that he said, I'll give you this place free. And listen to what David said. David said, Free. He said, I'll buy it at whatever the price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings on it if it costs me nothing. What was David saying? David said that if it costs you nothing, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. So here's what David was saying. I believe when David stood in front of Jerusalem, I think David was telling those Jebusites, he was saying, listen, he said, you have not lost one drop of blood in the city of Jerusalem, not one drop of blood, but we Israelites have. We have bared the cost. We've given our lives for the sake of Jerusalem. He said, you have no right, no claim to Jerusalem. So here's what I tell every one of you. You are squatters. You are trespassers. It's time you leave. He said, now this is what you can do. Either you can pack your bags voluntarily and come out, or he he said, we're going to come in, we're going to grab you by your hair, by the seat of your pants, and we're going to pull you out. But David said, one way or the other, we're coming in and you're going out. Come on, church. I'm going to give you a nugget to put in your bag. God will never relinquish what he claims. That includes Jerusalem. Once God puts his claim down upon the territory, it's sealed God's. It doesn't matter what the United Nations says. It doesn't matter what what the United States say. It doesn't matter what anybody in the world says. When God says it's mine, it's God's Amen. I recall a Italian. Let me tell you what uh, They're fussing about the territory of Israel, but if you look about in the end time Israel has not reached its full territory It's still got a lot of territory to claim of its own 1973 and I'm, I'm hoping I'm right but 1973 Jimmy Carter got together with unrod Sadat and Menachem Begin, and they came to a a peace treaty. Begin gave up Israeli land for the sake of peace. That was bad in the eyes of Israel. For Israel to give up land, regardless of peace, that was looked upon as a traitor. And if you're a traitor, you are to die. And if you go back and look at Begin's life was took, he was assassinated. Because he gave up Israeli land. Listen, God is not going to relinquish any bit of his territory, including me or any of you today. Another nugget that I want to put in your bag this morning is God is not insecure in his love for Jerusalem. Have you ever had people that constantly say, Do you love me, baby? Do you love me, baby? Do you love me, baby? baby?" You know what? What's wrong? Or is it because you ask that question over and over again because you are insecure in your love? Come on. Do you think God is insecure of his love? I mean, Isaiah 62, too, says, I love Jerusalem. I will continually speak for her. In other words. Jerusalem is the center point of God's conversations. It's all God talks about. It's his center point. Out of the heart proceeded the issues of life, So the main issue to God is Jerusalem. It is the people of God. So if you meet God, probably all you're going to hear him talk about is me. No, I'm just picking with you guys. Come on. Come on. No, he's just not Danny. He's going to talk about you as well because you are the central point of what God's heart is. So, how many of you ever tried to have to buy for somebody's love? You know what I'm talking about. Buy for somebody's love. That means you had to compete for that person's love. I have. I've had these certain girls. Need on. I've had these certain girls that I've tried to. Uh, <laughs> i tried to buy for their love. And and I and I you know I I wooed them. I sweet talked them. I bought them things. And I did everything in my mind, and all I ended up was wore out, exhausted, and they still had the same old uh, uh, words I don't feel like I need to commit. So I've had my brothers, my good friends would tell me, said, Danny, says, you know what, you need to open your eyes. You are a lost cause. There's more fish in the sea. You know what? When I thought about that, I said, Lord, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful that when you stood over Jerusalem that that day and you said, oh, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you like a mother hen, but you would not. I'm so thankful that Peter didn't walk up and say, hey, Jesus, you know, uh, this is a lost cause here. These people don't love you. They don't care for you. Let's go to Shechem. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go somewhere else. You're losing it here. We're wasting our time here. And I'm so glad that one day when I stood before the cross, and I stood there and, and the Lord looked down on my life and the Holy Spirit was drawing and wooing me. And I'm so thankful that somebody didn't walk up and say, hey, why are you fooling around with that little insignificant guy? You know what? He just works at Rouse's, preaches every once in a while at Mission Church. But you know what? We need another Billy Graham. We need another Oral Roberts. We need to spend our time on on that. Forget about him. But the Lord didn't do that at all. He didn't push me aside. And even today in this message that I'm preaching today with Jerusalem, the Lord did not push Jerusalem aside. That's the reason David was where he was. That's the reason that all of the gallant military of Israel was where they were. They would come to take back what had been given away. <laughs> Do you think these Jezebites cared at all what David thought? Huh? They could care less how that David thought of his views of Jerusalem. They could care less about the, how God himself thought about Jerusalem. They just drew a line in the sand and you know what they said? You're not coming into our city. But you need to understand this that what Israel needed was inside that city. And here's what the Lord spoke in my heart about this message. What you need is inside the city of God. You know where the city of God is? Huh? The city of God is where the king is. It's where the king abides. And if you get yourself to where the king abides, then you're going to get to the king's provisions. You're going to get to the king's blessings. So what I'm telling you, you're not going to find it in through drugs. You're not going to find it through some new book on psychological thinking. You're not going to find it in any other kind of way through alcohol or any other things. You're only going to find it to where the king is. You got to come to where he abides. You got to come to the to the to the uh, a city of God, which is the church of the living God. That's where you've got to come to today. And I look around this morning and I say, There's a lot of empty seats here. Why, God? Do you think the Jebusites were afraid of David? You think the enemy is afraid of you? Look, Goliath laughed at David and said, Call him a dog. And, and the Jebusites said the same thing. They said, here's how they were. They weren't impressed with David's at all, with the army of Israel. You know what they said? They said, We're going to send our lame. We're going to send our blind out to you. They'll take care of you, Israel. We don't have to monster up our military. We'll just send the blind, we'll send the lame. It's sort of like me saying, well, I, I'll let Joe handle all my small stuff. <laughs> That's what they were saying. They were saying, you're weak. You're but a puff in the wind. We, you will buckle. You'll surrender. You'll bend. You'll break. We can send small excuses. They were like Tobiah who, who told Nehemiah, he says, when he, when he saw the wall of Jerusalem, he said, hey, a little fox. A little fox could run across the wall and it'll fall down. There's no stability. There's no strength in your walls. We don't have a problem here. Before you could ever dance the victory dance, before you can ever shout the victory shout, you've got to come to the city of Jerusalem where God is. And you know what the devil does when you look around all these empty seats here, he sends a lot of lame excuses out to people. A lot of blind things that people get a hold of. Can I tell you some lame excuses he'll send to your door? (laughs) Listen to this. Because you know what? I'll I'll bet you right now some of you have used these excuses. There's There's too much drama in the church. Me? Who me? Who would miss me? Tell you the truth, I just don't connect. Ah, here's one. I'm so tired on Sundays, Brother Danny. I you know, Sundays is my only day to catch up with my rest. You gotta understand, I gotta get my rest because Monday comes around, I gotta get back to work. So it's lame excuses. Like like the Jesuitites did. They sent the lame. You got lame excuses that are sent towards your way. I don't know why it happens, but it seems like every Sunday our family plans something for Sunday. I'm an introvert. I've heard this one. I'm an introvert. I don't like people. Oh, my God. What's going to happen to you when you get to heaven? When John said, I saw a multitude that no man could number. <laughs> I think this is the biggest thing of all. Tell you the truth, I just don't get anything out of it. I think that's the biggest, biggest lame excuse people send. Now, the enemy will also send And blind you. Here's how he blinds you. I've got plenty of time. I don't need to worry about that now. Here's another one. I believe this way. Now if I could find a church that believes like me, hey, I'll be there. How about this one? There's a lot of pathways to God. I'll find mine. Then this one, can't I enjoy the past things and still be saved? The blind and the lame sent out to fight for you, and we listened to them. So what Israel needed was in Jerusalem. What you need today is in the big spiritual Jerusalem within the church. But here's the big question. Ah, you say, Brother Danny, big question, I hear that all the time, the big question. What is your big question? My big question to you is what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? If you know what you need is in the city of Jerusalem, if you know what you need is in the city of God, what are you going to do about it? What was David going to do? Is David going to look at Joab and say, Hey, Joab, uh, sound the trumpet, send all the men home. We tried, but we'll come back another day. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? In 1970, the Pittsburgh Steelers was the dynasty of football. They ruled the football field. In fact, they were, the I would say, the Goliaths of, food, of football. But down south in a place in Houston, Texas, called the Houston Oilers, there was this team led by Baum Phillips. And in the early 70s, the Pittsburgh Steelers met the Oilers for three straight years. Every year that the Oilers went to play the Steelers, Baum Phillips had something to say. Let me tell you what he had to say. Are you ready? The first year, he said, we've come to the game. The second year, Bob Phillips said, we've knocked on the door. The third year, that Bob Phillips said, he said, we've come to kick that door down. I always said that Bob Phillips had what I call a Ralphie mentality. He said, Ralphie mentality? What in the world are you talking about, Brother Danny? You see, Ralphie was a little boy in the Christmas story, Remember? All that Ralphie wanted was a BB gun. <laughs> I mean, come on, church. That's all he wanted. Give me a BB gun. or oh, what was it? Red Rider BB gun. And you remember the time that he wrote that essay out? And and, and he said, he, he, he oh, he was so excited. He wrote that essay out of, I'm getting this Red Ryder BB gun and all of this stuff. And it was a. And he sent it over to Miss Shields, his teacher. He gets the back he gets it back to him. And he didn't get the grade he wanted. And about that time at the bottom of that page was written these words. What? Shoot your eye out. Shoot your eye out. Man, he was down and depressed. So you know here's old Ralphie. He's going home that day, and he's dragging his feet, his shoulders are bent over. Man, he is down. He is depressed uh, because uh, of what Ms. Shields had just wrote up on his paper. The whole world's crashed down upon him. And suddenly, the bully, the neighborhood bully, Scott Fargus, takes a snowball and throws it as hard as he can and hits Ralphie right in the face. His eyes, his eye glasses go like this, you remember? And he's sitting there and then he begins to tear up he begins to tear up his teeth begins to grit together and Farger says Ralphie he says what are you going to do are you going to cry 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 are you gonna run to mommy are you gonna cry Ralphie What are you going to do? And about that time, Ralphie had enough, and he went, and he jumped on the Scott Fargus and beat the living tire out of him. (laughs) Now, my question to you this morning is this. When the enemy tells you this morning, you're not coming in here, what are you going to say? I hope we got some people at Mission Church that says, listen to me. We're going to kick that door down. And we're going to beat the living tire out of that enemy. Tuesday night I was sitting right over here. Remember Paul? And you came over and you pugged me on my, 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 my side there. And uh, I think it was because mainly because I found out Tuesday I was going to preach today. But but uh. I was sitting over there, and and I, remember when I told you that when God speaks to you, have a piece of paper because you'll forget what God talks to you about? So I was sitting right over there where Ryan's at, and all at once, the God began to speak into my heart, and I began to write down what God was saying, and let me tell you what God told me that day. God, I'm, I wrote it down here. Danny, one of my biggest among my people's biggest ailments is my people suffer spiritual dementia. Listen, dementia is that disease where you forget who you are. You forget the circumstances that are you you are in. I don't know what happens. I don't know what causes it. Something snaps inside of you and do that. But if you're going to get your victory. You better stand up and begin to realize who you are. Some people say, I'm a friend of God. Well, you know what? I hate that. I hate that, brother. I don't want to be called a friend of God because I feel like I'm much deeper than a friend. I'm family. I'm family to God. I've got the blood of Jesus running through my veins. I am royalty. Listen to me. I am of the elite of God. I am of the elite of the army of God today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This brings me to my last question that I want to cover this morning in the next hour that I have. <laughs> I'm just <kidding> <laughs> And this is interesting. But it all ties into my message today. You will see in just a few moments. Why, after killing Goliath, did David take the skull of Goliath and bring it to Jerusalem? I thought to myself when I read the story. I said, "Wow, David, that's morbid. That's a little creepy." that you would take the skull of Goliath and bring it to Jerusalem. What in the reason did you do that for? I got excited when God spoke to me and told me the reason why. You want to hear it? Listen. Colossians, the second chapter, the 15th verse. Having disarmed the powers, the authorities, He made a spectacle of them. Listen, in other words, you walk into some people's homes and you'll see on their walls, they got all kind of animals up on their walls. I mean, these were scary animals, Paul. (laughs) They were vicious animals. They were mean animals. They put fear in you. They stopped you in your tracks. They brought terror to you. But you know what the Lord told me? The Lord said, Danny, you know what they are? What, Lord? He said, they're trophies." You see, they were vicious. They were mean. But somebody took their spirit. Somebody took their spirit. Go up to that wall. Lion, roar! Roar! I don't hear that lion roaring at me anymore. You know why? Somebody took his spirit. Somebody took that lion's spirit. So when David took the skull of Goliath, he put it back into Jerusalem where the Jebusites were. This is what David is saying. David says that I took the head of the meanest, the baddest, the tallest, the nastiest of them all, and I put it where you are. In other words, he said, I have the Bomb Phillips, the Ralphie thinking, I'm not going to cry about it. I'm going to do something about it. Hallelujah. Another thought about David was that when he stood there that day, he walked in the confidence of his tomorrow's. As he stood there fixing to go into Jerusalem, he walked in the confidence of his tomorrows. Now, here's a, here's a beautiful thing. Give me some time this morning, please. Here's a beautiful thing about David. <coughs> and when I read this, Paul, it did something inside of me. David said these words, and I think it was in 2 Samuel, the 22nd chapter. David said this, The throne Is not mine. It's not mine to have. It's not mine to take. It's not mine to keep. It is the Lord's. I thought, how awesome! David realized. He was just blessed to be up on the throne a temporary but then you have Samuel that come around and Samuel told David these words when your days are complete David and you lie down with your fathers I will rise up your descendant after you he will come forth he will establish his kingdom he shall build a house in my name and I will establish your throne forever the fulfillment of that began with his grandfather thousands of years before that upon Mount Moriah. It began when Abraham stood there with Isaac on Mount Moriah. And, Abel, and, and uh, Isaac said, Dad, he said, look, he says, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, we've got everything we need, we've got the altar, where is the sacrifice? You know what Abraham said? Abraham said a prophetical word. Abraham said, God will provide a sacrifice. And sure enough, at the end, they saw that lamb that was called in that that thicket. That same lamb that would be sacrificed that day. It's the same lamb that John said, behold, the lamb of God. That taketh away the sins of the world. It's the same lamb that John the Revelator saw when he said, uh, when, "When he said, 'Is there anybody worthy to open up the scroll?'" No one was found, but then somebody said, "Behold, the Lamb of God. He is worthy to open up the scroll." Joe and Stephanie and I went up on Arlington Cemetery. Walked amongst all of the graves there. Their bodies are there. But listen to me, church. Their blood is up on a battlefield somewhere else. Jesus is not upon Mount Moriah anymore. But his blood somewhere down in that ground has been soaked there. So David brought the skull of Goliath to Jerusalem. But I want to focus with you just a few moments on another skull. Give me a few more minutes. Another skull. The place that I'm talking about is called Golgotha. It's called the place of the skull. It's called that because when you look at it, it looks like a skull. But another name, listen to me, church. Another name for Golgotha is Goliath. Remember what I told you? Goliath took the head of the meanest, the roughest, the toughest of all, and he took him and back to Jerusalem and put him up. He took the life of the spirit of Goliath with just a slingshot and a stone the power of God. Put him on display. But the greatest of all heads still needs to be put on display. Did you hear what I said? That should pry up your ears. The greatest of all heads is yet needs to be put upon display. The promise that God, that Abraham said to Isaac, that God would provide a sacrifice. God would provide a lamb. It's the same promise that God gave to Adam and Eve when he said, one day, one day somebody is going to crush the head of the serpent. Now I want to show you something today, if I can. See this guy here? This guy here has caused more pain more suffering than anyone else in the history of mankind. Because of him, I've had to stand at the grave of my mom and dad and tell them goodbye. Because of him, the other day I had one of my best friends had to walk into his his son's room and find him dead of an overdose. Because of him, I've seen where my grandmother in her last moments of her life cried out, get me out of the fire. Somebody pull me out of this fire, please. Somebody pull me out of this fire. Because of him, little babies are being beheaded in Israel at this hour. It's all because of him. Well, let me tell you something. The devil, the devil is the meanest, the toughest, the ugliest, the nastiest, the scariest uh, being there is from the pits of hell. But you know what? His kingdom can be cracked. And it was cracked. Because one day. Jesus Christ. Stood upon Calvary. And Jesus. Said three magical words. It. Is. Finished. And that day. When he said, it is finished, he put the hammer down upon the kingdom of darkness, and at that very moment, the powers of darkness fell. I'll clean it up, Paul. At that very moment, something happened. The Bible said that the curtain at the Holy of Holies Split from top to bottom, and the presence of God was open for everyone to come in. Here's my final thoughts this morning. Thank God. My final thoughts is this: the Philistines had took the Ark of the Covenant. They had thought they had Israel on the run. And they thought, hey, we got it made now, guys. We got their God. We got their God. We got the Ark of the Covenant. And I read word that they took the Ark of the Covenant and they took it and put it in with their God Dragon. Sitting right beside Dragon. The next morning they went in. Dragon was face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. They picked him up. Put him back. The second morning, they went in. Dragon was down on his face once again before the Ark of the Covenant. They picked him up, put him back again. The third day, third day. Hey, listen, whoa. Just hit me. A significance here. (laughs) Significance. Are you getting what I'm saying? Third day significance. What happened on the third day? Resurrection power. On the third day, Paul, when they walked in, guess what? Dragon was right. He was down on his face again, but this time he was broken apart. So that tells me what they were saying was I have broken the powers of the spirit of the enemy." Joe, would you play that song this morning? Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Jesus.